Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, and we are glad you are here. There is something in the air, and it smells like positivity. I don't know what it is, but people seem to be happier. Yes, the coronavirus is still killing at an alarming rate, but what a difference one positive voice can make for an entire country, and maybe even a world. Now, the jury's still out. Wow, it feels good. Maybe a resounding positive outlook can be the first step to wiping out this filthy disease. Don't forget to wash your hands, wear your mask, social distance, and stay home when you can. We will win. We will beat this together. Speaking of winners, today's podcast is all about the stories of a former two-time world cruiserweight champion, a U.S. Navy veteran, and native of Philadelphia, Stephen U.S.S. Cunningham. Before we get to the podcast, make sure you're following us on social media. The Chris Williams Podcast Hour on social media can be found on IG and Twitter at the Chris Will Pod. That is the at sign, T-H-E-C-H-R-I-S-W-I-L-L-P-O-D. And on Facebook, the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. I need to thank everyone who's contributed to the momentum of the podcast. I want to thank our sponsor, Yes Pallets. Yes Pallets, the pallet removal, waste removal, and recycling removal company that places risk mitigation, OSHA compliance, and customer-obsessed service first, can upscale in a moment's notice, and remove barriers to provide you with a safe and clean work environment. Thank you, Yes Pallets. And let me also single out two followers who have retweeted, shared, liked, and continue to show us love on all of our posts. Thank you, Pat Kennedy at Irish50K. And thank you, Johnny Valentine at HJ underscore Valentine. I appreciate both of you, and I need more followers like you. Thank you to everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Today, I am graced with one of the best fighters to ever enter the square circle. He is a two-time IBF World Cruiserweight Champion, a U.S. Navy veteran, this Philadelphia native was the 1998 National Gold Gloves champion. He earned a truly impressive pro career record of 29 wins, nine defeats, and one draw. And he was the first man to absolutely drop Tyson Fury. 
Please welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, the one and only Mr. Stephen USS Cunningham. Steve, welcome hey. to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. The introduction was dope. <laughs> yeah, nah, you, your career is dope. That's what's dope. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Like I said, it's a real, real honor. So thank you for joining me. Um, this podcast is all about you and your stories. So now the only way this works is if you brag about yourself and what you've accomplished along the way. All right. All right absolutely. So I, okay. Perfect, perfect. And I welcome shameless plug, so feel free to brag as much as you want. Uh, I'm not I'm not really a bragging guy, but <laughs> but you know, I, I I've done some things, you know, I've done a couple things. Few things in the boxing world that uh, you know people people recognize me for, man, and uh, I'm just happy to be uh, to have been healthy and and blessed to to go out and do it, you know. Okay, okay, all right. Now, Steve, what I want to do is I want to start by talking to you about where you grew up in Philly. Uh, what part of Philly were you raised in, and what was it like? Oh man, I was uh, I was born. And uh, North Philadelphia, twenty uh, fifth and Lehigh, you know, one of you know one of the rough rougher areas in Philadelphia, and uh, you know I grew up you know grew up over there with my mom and my father together up until about age seven, age eight, I'm sorry, eight or nine, and you know they broke up, fighting a lot. You know my dad, you know he used to fight my mom and. Once my mom and dad split up, you know, my mom took us, she took us, me, my brother, my sister, my younger sister, my older brother and my younger sister, I was in the middle, took us, you know, kind of here and there, you know, trying to find a place to stay, trying to get her life in order, get a job. And every every neighborhood we moved in, you know, at the age of 10, 11, you know, I, I had to fight, you know, I was fighting. Uh, kids tried to jump me, you know, I'm the new kid on the block. And, you know, they tried to jump me. You know, you, especially back then in the 80s, late 80s, uh, you know, you, you get jumped quick if you're a new, a new face. <laughs> so one day, you know, when we moved to uh, West Philadelphia, I, I was in junior high school. I, I got chased home by at least the whole, the whole school one day. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, all of, the, all of the boys in the school, they just, I I, I kind of stood my ground against one of the known guys in the school, you know, and uh, we kind of we kind of scrapped it out a little bit in advisory class, and he said I'm gonna see you after school, and I'm like you know I'm I'm like thinking he's blowing smoke, I'm like whatever, man. After school I go out the door, it's about forty dudes across the street pointing at me like there you go. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I did what any any smart kid would do. I ran, you know. I ran my butt home and uh and uh had to end up end up squaring off with the guy. But uh, from there, I got transferred to another school, you know, in the neighborhood, another junior high. And and like the first day I go to that school, the guys is uh picking on me <laughs> from the beginning. You know, oh, they're, wow. they're picking on me, messing with me, sizing me up. And I'm like, wow, man. You know, but, I mean, I, I really wasn't surprised because that was just Philly. You know, that was junior high. That's what it was. So, okay. So, you know, so I, uh, 
you know, I um, ended up getting into altercations with them throughout throughout the week, and they jumped me here. And then the next the next day, they tried to jump me here. I fight. I, I really didn't fight fight back because I wasn't even in the fighting. Then, you know, <laughs> I'm in the sixth grade. You know, uh, sixth seventh grade. I really wasn't in the fighting. I, I stand up for myself, but I wasn't in the fighting. I love boxing. I love watching it mm-hmm. with my dad, but uh, I didn't know anything about boxing. So this one day, man, they, they jumped me. They jumped me in uh, math class, and I just got – oh, no, they tried to jump me, and I escaped. <laughs> I kind of ran out the classroom, and uh, I was going to the office, walking around the school, and the the, uh, the aide had the kid who started to fight with me. She was taking him to the office also. So it was kind of like an okay corral moment. Like <laughs> like at the end of the school hallway was the aide holding him. And at the <laughs> end, I hit the corner on this end of the hallway. And we like, cut, you know, of course it was empty because classes was going down. And mm-hmm. I saw him and I just, while I was doing my walk, I kind of was telling myself, it's time I might as well just fight back. They're going to they're gonna jump me anyway. They're going to beat me up anyway, so I might as well throw some punches and get some hits in. And when I saw that kid at the end of the hallway, I started running at him, man. This is at least a 50-yard hallway. <laughs> I'm sprinting at him, and the, the, the aide let him go, kind of like pushing him at me, like, hey, go on, get your butt kicked, because she saw a look on my face, and I warmed that boy up. I mean, I really – he was such a bully. He was crying, and I was like, oh, you ain't even tough. So from there, I, oh. I kind of started fighting back. I kind of started fighting all of those guys back one by one, man. And uh, and uh, that, that gave me super duper confidence, you know. So from there, now I'm I'm known for kind of not fighting, but I'm known for don't mess with me. <laughs> you okay. know, you, okay. you mess with you mess with him, you got yourself a problem. And because right. I wasn't going back down, I wasn't I wasn't going to let nobody do that to me anymore. What was being done? So from there. I went to high school, didn't have any issues, man. I kind of, I kind of did the little street thing for a while, uh, back in the little early '90s, '91, '92. You know, with a little bit of drugs, this selling, selling that, selling that, because that was all we knew. You know, that's all we saw. Uh, crack cocaine destroyed the city. It came in. We seen guys our age making money. I'm 15. 15 years old, 16 years old, and my friends is driving cars. And I'm like, oh, but I'm broke and getting teased, <laughs> you know. Oh, I got holes in my sneakers, and the kids are teasing me. And, uh, you know, I wasn't getting any girls. I was, <laughs> You know how that go. And so I, I kind of I fell over into the peer pressure of wanting, wanting to fit in, wanting to look a certain way, wanting to have those sneakers, wanting to have those clothes. And, uh one of my friends, you know, he started selling crack, and then I started. And that kind of lasted for about two years for me. And, you know, I made some I made some money, but, you know, it wasn't worth what I, what I put on the line. You know what I mean? Like, literally put my life on the line. But those years, those, that time I spent, you know, out there peddling, you know, drugs, they were very instrumental in my growth as, as a man because my father wasn't around. You know, my okay. dad was around my – actually, my dad was on crack. <laughs> my oh, dad wow. was on crack, and here it is. I'm on the other side of town selling it, you know. So that's that's so fun. You know, it's I, the irony in that is unbelievable. So um, once I – you know, once I – once I we went from – we literally went from playing hide-and-go-seek on those streets and freeze tag 
to the next summer selling crack, running around with guns, and you know buying cars and stuff. So that's how that's how life changed for for me that fast, and it kind of showed me the city that or the town that I lived in. It showed me all the players. It showed me who was doing what. You know now now I'm behind the scenes. Now I know who's the stick up boys. Now I know who's selling crack. Who's got dope here? Now I know who's using. You know the lady who who um, runs the church. Her daughter's a, a, a fiend. Her daughter comes and oh, buys wow. this one. You know? Yeah, man, people didn't know. The the old man who everybody loves, he comes and buys, you know, the cop, he comes and sells guns, you know. So I'm I'm learning all of this stuff about the way life is going. I'm 15, 16, and I'm seeing all of this. You know, we had a, we had a white male that would come through the neighborhood, pop his trunk to the dope boys, and he had all kind of guns. I mean, 9 millimeters, Uzis, whatever you wanted, and you get them. And I'm just, my head is, is spinning, like, wow, where does this dude get these guns from? <laughs> Who is this guy? You know, so um, after that, I kind of, after one summer, I kind of was like, you know what, I wanted to stop. You know, we moved to another neighborhood. I knew not to dabble in that world where you weren't familiar, you know, because mm-hmm. you end up getting okay. killed. So once we moved to this, uh, to back to my grandmother's neighborhood, I just left it alone. And I just was like, I'm cool. I, I got enough money for school clothes. I did this. I, I'm going to graduate high school. I want to I wanna graduate. You know, I didn't want to end up in jail. I didn't want to <laughs> get killed, you know. So I kind of had that mm-hmm. much sense on me. I stopped, and that was 10th grade. And, and I, I, I had enough credits. I, didn't, I never went to the 11th grade. I had enough credits to graduate uh, the next year uh, from 10th to 12th if I did night courses. So I did night classes. I, I was uh, an art major. Now here it gets very interesting. Now, now I'm an art major in high school. My last three classes are all art. art. I mean, my, after lunch was just all art class. My goal... <laughs> Instead of being a world champion, my goal at the time was to go to the Art Institute of Philadelphia or New York, become a graphic designer, make comic books and characters, which I'm actually doing now. I'll fill you in on that. And, yes. and, uh, yes. and um, you know, draw and have a career in that. I wasn't thinking about boxing. I, 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 won, I liked the box. I, I trained a little bit in Philly, a little bit, a very little bit. And... Um, but boxing wasn't on my mind in high school, like like being a boxer. So, in art, in art, in, in art class, you know, my my art teacher was telling me, "Yo, Cunningham, get your portfolio ready. Get your portfolio ready. We're now in March, and you know, this is when the, uh, you know, all of the letters go out to the colleges and the and the student and the, and, the, and the student aid and the loans and this and that and all of that gets pushed out. And here it is, my mom never went to college." I had nobody in my family that ever went to college before, so nobody was able to tell me or to instruct me on what to do. So I'm still just drawing what I wanted to draw, and I'm seeing my friends. Now it's April. I'm seeing my friends in art class. I, I see them getting acceptance letters into this college, into that college, and I'm like, whoa, where's mine? <laughs> and oh, the art wow. teacher was like, yo, yeah, he was like, Cunningham, you didn't, you didn't send anything out. You didn't fill this paper out. You didn't do that. So now I'm stuck, you know. It's, it's April. It's late April. We're about to graduate in a few in a few weeks, and I'm like, I don't want to. Something hit me, you know. It was like I don't want. I didn't. I knew if I stayed in Philly, 
and work a regular job, I probably would get back into drug selling uh, because I didn't see myself working at Checkers. I just felt, and not down to anybody who did, but for me personally, I just felt, and not just a feeling, man, it was just something that came on me. I felt there was more for me. I literally felt like, man, I shouldn't, I'm not working in Checkers or McDonald's, you know, so the Navy recruiter came into my uh, advisory class that next week, and he was talking what I wanted. He was talking college money. He was talking getting out of the city. He was talking about traveling the world, meeting girls. <laughs> he was talking all that good stuff. And okay. I signed up, man. You know, that was it for me. And then I joined the United States Navy, man. And, and I took that summer off. You know, after I graduated, I stayed home that whole summer, had fun, you know, said bye to friends. And in and, and September, September 6th, I joined. I went on and got on that plane, man, and went to uh, the Great Lakes and started boot camp. Oh wow! Okay, now you, you served in the Navy from 1994 to 98, and you yes. served on the USS America and the USS Enterprise. So yes. talk about your talk about your time in the Navy and and share some good stories from those times while you were serving. Oh man! So you know, uh, four years in the Navy. Once I, you know, boot camp was the best part. <laughs> those two months, those two months, they were the best part for, for me and a, and, a, and a few of us because, you know, that's, it was a shock, man, of a new life. You know, you're, you're showering with 40 different dudes. There's no walls. <laughs> There's no walls to, to cover you. Everybody's trying to hide themselves. And, and about, about three weeks later, nobody's covering themselves. It's just a natural thing now, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just like you got so comfortable with it. It's, it's weird, but that's the way it is. You know, you, you live in the, um, in the barracks with about 100 guys, you know, and everybody, man, there's no, there's no uh, toilet um, uh, stalls. Every, it's just toilets. It's like toilets lined up next to each other. So if you got to go, you're going next to your bro. <laughs> You know, uh, if if you got a shower, and and you can see each other. If you got a shower, you got a shower next to your bro, you know. So uh, it was like that, man. That was a big shock for me and a culture shock because, you know, we're from the ghetto, man. And, and of course, we we grew up around, you know, there were black black and and Latinos, Puerto Ricans or whatever. But outside of that, I didn't really have an interaction with, with white people like that per se, you know, in my life up until I joined the Navy, you know. So now we're in the shower with Mexicans, (laughs) Filipinos, white, black, Puerto Rican, just everybody, man. It was just, it was kind of a culture shock, but not a negative, but it was just cool, you know. So, and and those guys in boot camp, you know, we're friends for life. You know, I remember those guys. I'm sure they remember me. But, uh, you know, we used to stand night watching boot camp and sneak over into the other barracks and trash their room. I've done that a couple times. <laughs> knock, knock, their, knock their folded clothes down. You get totally massacred. Why they're all asleep? Even the watch was sleep. It's like 3 in the morning. The midnight watch or the late night watch is sleep. Me and my other friend who were on watch in our barracks crept over to theirs and, like, took their folded clothes down and unfolded them. But we, we unfolded them nice and neat so they couldn't uh, – <laughs> So they couldn't hear, and but we trashed the whole barracks, man. And when they woke up, oh, we heard them getting slammed, and we just dying. You know that's that, that's that stuff we do, man. So from there, from boot camp, you know, I graduated boot camp successfully, 
uh, I got stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, on uh, on the USS America. It was my first my first duty station, and it was an aircraft carrier. My job mm-hmm. was aircraft refueled. I, I refueled uh, anything that landed on the aircraft carrier. You know, H sixty Elo, F sixteen. I'm sorry, F eighteen. Uh, F-14, uh, E-1B-1A, you know, anything you name it. Hawkeyes, Hornets, man, Seahawks. It was dope, man. It was it was dope, but it was, a, it was a hell of a job. I'll tell you that. The Navy, working on the flight deck is one of those jobs that you hate. <laughs> you hate it if you're, if, you're, if you're a grunt, you know, and I was a grunt, you know, so I, I, I you know, you dislike it, but you know, yo, this is for my future. You know what I'm saying? This is, this mm-hmm. is good. So, so you keep, you know, you, you're there, you, and you do, you, you do your best. Uh, fueling those planes with the propellers, it's called a hot pump. So when a jet lands and it needs fuel and it's going right back out, they won't turn the jet on. So that you got the jet intake going. Oh. That thing will suck you up in it. That thing will suck you in and, and, and tear you up, man. It could kill you. You know, I, I, it's, a couple guys got sucked in and, Lungs got collapsed, collarbone got broken. So, and and the crazy thing about it is, they got the darn fuel port where you got to refuel it at under the intake. <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy. So when you do a hot pump and they keep the engine on, you got to have a friend holding your your vest so you don't get sucked into the damn intake. You know, but you know that's the stuff that makes men. You know. <laughs> Right, so we're doing right. that. We have, we're doing that. We're traveling St. Martin, St. Thomas. I've been there. Uh, we did what's called the six month med cruise, where you go to Europe, or you go to, you go over the Atlantic Ocean, and you go through the Suez. I mean, you go through the Straits of Gibraltar, then you go through the Mediterranean Sea, you go through the Suez Canal, you go down there, you do that, you visit, you know, Egypt, Spain. You're supposed to visit all those places, but when we did ours. That was in 96. We did our six-month med cruise. We hit Greece twice and Italy. So we still had four more months, three more months, I'm sorry. And we got a call to go bomb Saddam Hussein in 1996. We were stuck oh. doing donuts in the ocean, uh, launching, launching uh, F-14s and F-18s at Saddam Hussein for three months straight. No land. No, nothing. Just work, man. That was the worst time of my life. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, so it was just work. The, the, the plus about that is, well, we got uh, we got wartime pay, but, I mean, come on. You know, that, man, listen. So from there, I got back, and but I was in the Navy when I first went to my duty station in Norfolk, Virginia. Before I even went out to sea, I started going to the gym. This is now. This is this is the crazy part. It's, I don't believe in irony. I don't believe nothing's ironic in life. Um, the gym, and I wanted to box. By now, I wanted to box because on my on my application before I went and joined the Navy, the recruiter, you know, he asked you what you want to do or, or what's your hobbies. So I told him drawing and boxing because you know I fought so good when you know when I fought. Everybody thought I boxed, so I rolled with mm-hmm. that. Told people I was a boxer. <laughs> I lied. I was lying my butt off, or or, or 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 we could say speaking those things that aren't as if they were. 
you know, so someday that they will happen. Manifesting. I was manifesting back then. So, okay. um, you know, I mean, yeah, let's just call it manifesting instead of lying. <laughs> so from there, I told the recruiter, like I wrote down on the paper, drawing and boxing. So he says, man, you know, the Navy's got a boxing team. So I was like, what? Oh, for real? So he's like, yeah, talk to your command duty station uh, commander and see if you can get on the boxing team when you get there. So I was like, all right, cool. Uh, got stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. Here's the here's the supposed irony. The Navy, the boxing, the Navy boxing team trained in the base that was like ten minutes away. So what I would do is when we got off of work on on Norfolk uh, Naval Base, I would drive over to Little Creek Amphibious Base, which was about ten fifteen minutes away, and just train. You know, because you know after we we worked regular hours when the ship was in port from like seven to eight. I mean seven to three. Sometimes you get out, most of the times you get out a little early, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. But the times were 7 to 3, and, shoot, I would go to the gym, work out, hit the bag. I, and, and, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, they had gloves there. They had, they had the equipment. They had the bags. I would just go work out. And I did that for months. Man, I did that for probably like four or five months. And then I met up with a Marine officer named Major Hanson, Kent Hanson. My first trainer, man. This dude, he was a rough, tough Marine, and he just he would spar with me, even though it was it was it was against the rules for an officer and an enlisted to to, mm-hmm. to to do that. But he, you know, he was a major, and he just was like, man, come on, nobody know. And, and we would spar, man. He got me, he got me right, he got me ready. And one day I come to the gym, and he's like, he's like, hey Cunningham, I got you a fight. I'm like, oh, man, for real, because I've been training for about a year now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you got me a fight. And he's like, yeah, I got you a fight. Um, you're, you're going up against the light heavyweight champ of the Navy. <laughs> 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 so huh. me, I'm just as crazy as him. He's like, you know, you're going up against the light heavyweight champ of the Navy. So I'm like, oh, man, all right. You know, I, I, we knew the guy. You know, I trained with him. You know, we all trained at the same gym a bit, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And... I knew his name was Israel Spencer. Israel Spencer had about at least 50 fights. I had no fights. Israel Spencer's been to the, uh, he's been to the Nationals and all of that stuff. So, uh, and he was like the light heavyweight champ for the Navy for a while. So, you know, I, um, I'm, but I'm all in. I'm like, all right, coach, whatever you say. <laughs> and he says, well, <laughs> he goes, well, I had to lie in order to get you to fight. So I'm like, what do you mean? And he, he says, well, I had to lie and tell him you had 10 wins and 10 knockouts. So I was like, all right. <laughs> Here it is. I have no fights. I have no fights. I've just been training for a year, hardcore, though. So that fight happens. This is, we're in the ring, and, you know, he's good, but I'm, I, I, I just, I'm just on go. My whole thing, even into my professional career, has been I'm in shape. I'm I'm in the better I'm going to be in better shape than you. So mm-hmm. and this is before I had skills. All I had was go. And I'm getting in there. I'm fighting this guy. I'm fighting him. And I'm, I I would I would edge him out every round. You know I would just do more, do more, do more. And I got him in the third round. Like broke him down, man. Broke him down. And you know it went to the decision. And they they gave me a fight. And I was so excited before I could even get out the ring. The Navy um, boxing team coach. He was meeting me at the steps with an application for the Navy boxing team. Like, hey, man, (laughs) 
we want you on the team, man. We want you on the team. And um, I went and sat down in the locker room and threw up. I was so excited. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so, so from there, so from there, I, I put my paperwork in to uh, join the Navy boxing team. And, you know, your paperwork's got to get signed by, you know, your supervisor. Then it goes to your division officer. And they all got to be on board before it gets out of your division. If it gets out of your division and they, they're like, nah, <laughs> if they say no, then the captain's going to say no. So the first time I put my boxing paperwork in, it got denied because you know, I was a, you know, I wasn't squared away sailor, you know. I was a little knucklehead at times. I kinda got with the wrong guys late here and there. So my supervisor was like, Yo, you've been late so many times. You you you're not squared away this at muster, this and that. He's just pointing out all my wrongs and I was like, Damn He's like, I'm not letting you go this year. He said, Then you better try this next season and, and you better shape up and, and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> Because okay. that's what I wanted, you know. I wanted, I wanted to get on that boxing team, you know. That's that's what I wanted. Like I wanted to box, man, and you know. So once um once he told me that, I shaped up. I wasn't late. My attitude was right. Everything was right. And the next year came around, and we got a new division officer who saw me fight off base because we would fight while we were in Virginia. We would get fights in D.C. We would drive up to D.C., any parts of Virginia, Baltimore, you know, on the weekends and just get fights. So this new division officer, I didn't even know he was in the audience at one of my fights. He saw me fight, and when I ran my paperwork, he told me, he said, listen, you best serve the Navy on the boxing team. <laughs> he was like, wow. so I'm going to help you get out of here. Exactly. So he said, if I sign it, the captain's going to sign it. And he signed it, the captain signed it. Boom, I was off to Port Wainimi, California for – the Navy boxing team training camp from 1998. Oh, that was the bomb, man. That was the bomb. So now I'm, I'm, tra- now I'm training. I'm a box. I'm in the Navy. I'm getting my regular Navy pay, but I'm not. Only thing I'm doing is boxing. I'm a boxer for the United States Navy. I'm getting paid, and they give us 500 extra for food because we were living in like dorms. And I'm on this dope base in California. First time in California. We went to Santa Barbara party, chummy, and remember, I'm 21. <laughs> I'm 21 years old, so we're up there partying, messing with girls, just wilding out, having fun. You know, it, it was kind of like our college years, you know. Yeah, I'll yeah. Equate that, okay. I'll equate it to that. You know, that was my college years, and um, you know, we had a ball. You know, drinking, a little drinking. You know, we went camp. I took that serious, so I didn't really drink. Um, mm-hmm. I took I took that really serious, you know. It's training time, I, I buckled down. I just had that discipline always. So um, from there, in the Na- on the Navy boxing team, they have an armed forces tournament, which is the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. We all box off, four-man tournament, you know, each weight class. And I got the silver medal. The Army guy that I fought, I almost knocked him out. I caught him with a good shot and wobbled him, wobbled him bad, and then he just outpointed me. But he was number two in the world. <laughs> he was oh, number wow. two in the world, yeah, and like number one in the country. So, I, you know, but he he was like, man, you're gonna do good at the national. So from there, I went to um, I went to the um, the U.S. Nationals, and and like I said, there's nothing ironic <laughs> about life, mm-hmm. or I'll say my life. 
So I go from the Armed Forces Tournament fighting the number two guy in the world, light heavyweight, who was, who was the number one uh, light heavyweight in, um, in, in the country, to, to the U.S. Nationals. And my first fight, now that's a week-long tournament. Every day you fight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get a draw. And Monday I drew the number two guy in the country <laughs> who was, like, number three in the world. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, another light heavyweight from Chicago named uh, Stewart. I forgot his first name. But, and me and him, we thugged it out in there, man. And I thought I won, but, you know, years later I understood. He knew the system because he was, he, was, he was an older – he was about almost 30 years old. So he's been, he's been trying to make the Olympics for probably two Olympics. And he knew, he knew how to get the scores, get the points. He was, you know, he, he got the fight, but I thought I won at the time, and me and him got into an argument after in the back. We were about to fight in the back. I, I was passionate, man. I'm serious about what I'm doing. <laughs> like, man, no, I won that fight. What's up? Let's fight right now. That Philly came out of me, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, But then we, the next tournament, I saw him, and we, we squashed that, man. We became cool. And he was like, man, you a fighting mug, though, man. You was trying to get me. And uh, so from there... The next month was that 98 May, I fought in the National Golden Glove, and I went to that tournament and cleaned it out. I mean, I cleaned it out. I ran through all five. Every day I beat dudes, and it was number three in the nation, number five, number ten. Oh, man, it was oh. – I ran through them dudes and made it to the finals and beat, the, beat one of the top light heavyweights in the country. Actually, that's the guy who ended up making the, the, the Olympic team. In 2000, but I beat him in 98. But he beat me, and he beat me in 99. So you know that's how that's how it was. It was so many good fighters in the amateurs. That's why I'm an advocate for professional fighters to have had amateur experience. You know because okay. you you have to. I mean, you get you get so much just from going to those tournaments because you don't know who you're fighting. You know until you get there, versus right. a professional fight. Yo, you get a contract months ahead of time, you know what I mean? And you know, all right, this is who I'm training, this is who I'm training for, this is what he does, this is what he doesn't do, he's this, he's that. But in, as an amateur, I don't know what I'm going to get, I don't know who I'm about to fight, but you got to be right, and you, and, and, you, and you adapt so fast. You know what I mean? So that, that helps. That helps you big time um, as okay. a professional. I mean, real big time. So, you know, we um, – me winning that 98 national tournament, I came back to the ship. Came back to the ship. Um, now the Navy boxing team was kind of over for that year. I come back to the ship for my regular duties, and I'm kind of like a big thing now. <laughs> you know, everybody <laughs> knows me. They put me on because each ship, each ship, no matter if it's an aircraft carrier, a DDG, a battleship, whatever, a cruiser, um, they all have their own, like, newspapers you know, that circulates through the crew because on the aircraft carrier, there was, what, uh, about 4,000, almost 5,000 people stationed to that one ship. So, you know, oh, they wow. had their That's own, we had our own newspaper and, you know, all of that. It's like his own city. So they, they had me on the front page one day, you know, uh, the USS, this now I, I decommissioned the USS America. I'm on the USS Enterprise. Now, like USS Enterprise, uh, fighter, I mean, sailor national champion, Navy boxer. So, you know, I got to meet the captain. That was unheard of. You know, I'm up there chatting with the captain, shaking hands, you know, cracking jokes, 
and, you know, they, they showed mad love, man. And, and I was like, wow. Everybody was like, I'm walking to the chow hall now. I'm walking to eat, and I'm getting stopped by everybody. Yo, man, yo, you Cunningham. Yo, man, I used to box and all that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm dealing with that. And, but it was, it was great, man, because it's, like, it's, it's awesome to be known for what you do. But so from there, May 98, you know, I had time to think because my original goal was to re-enlist for three more years and get on the Navy boxing team and do it again. But my, um, my division officer, the one who liked me, he got stationed to another ship, another, another base. And this new division officer, this guy, was, he was young. He was fresh out of college. He was a lieutenant. And them dudes, they are, <laughs> they are stuck up. They got sticks up their butt, man. You know, he come out with a little power, you know, because, you know, you got to salute those guys. They get saluted. Mm-hmm. And he's got a little power, and he's just trying to run everything strictly and by the book. And it's like, dude, that's not the way it goes. So I, I got a letter from USA Boxing that stated, yo, you're, you, you're going, we want to send you to China for being a national champion. We're going to send you to China to represent the United States in the uh, World Cup, 1998 World Cup games. Man, my mind was blown. So here it is. I got chance. I got time off the ship. My ship went out to sea. I'm off the ship training, getting ready to go to this tournament, fly me to China. But they didn't want me to go as a Navy military man. They wanted me to go as a civilian because they said China was a communist country and I might get kidnapped and held for ransom. So they were like, just, uh, yes. right, right. So they were like, just go get a passport and visa. And, you know, that's how you're going to get in. You're not going to get in with your military ID. So by the time I got, my, I got my passport, I didn't get the visa in time, so I couldn't go to the tournament. So this is what basically helped make me make my decision to get out or not because I had four more months left in the Navy to make my choice if I was going to reenlist or if I was going to, if I was going to um, get out. And my, this new division officer, now I had, I had about – five days left for my ship to get back in the sea. So I just stayed at the barracks and waited for them, still trained and stuff. And um, this, when I get to my ship, this new division officer is ripping me a new one. Like, you should have got flown to the ship out the sea. And I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> you know, and he stuck it to me. He was like, there's no more boxing for you. And I was like, oh, I'm getting out. <laughs> that was it. That was, that was it. it. So, you know, he made my choice for me. So I got out. My trainer moved to Atlanta. Remember uh, the last Olympics, 1996, they were there. Um, so he was like, that's the best place for us to go. So he moved to Atlanta. I moved to Atlanta, got a job, and was boxing and was training, you know. And, man, got a few amateur fights. They amateur from 98 to 2000 and turned pro in 2000. Okay, okay. All right, so that covers that gap. I was going to ask you about that from 98 to 2000 yeah. when you turned pro. So, yeah. first of all, thank thank you so much for your service. I don't think we thank our service mem- members and vets enough. So, and I, obviously, the military has had a great impact on you and you becoming, you know, who you are. So, yeah, it did. It did. It did. So, so I have to ask this, and I know it, it seems obvious, but how did you get the nickname USS? Oh, man, I'm going to shorten these stories up. So, you know, I'm, 
as I, I turn pro, you know, Evander, you got you got real deal Evander Holyfield, Iron Mike Tyson, and you know everybody's got this catchy name, Pretty Boy Floyd. So I'm like, man, I, I started coming up with names that just didn't fit. Universal Soldier, um, Quiet Storm, all this and that. These names just didn't fit, and uh, I went to South Africa. I went to spar Jean-Marc Moment, the former WBA cruiserweight champ, and I ended up getting a fight. So that's mm-hmm. when me and my wife kind of came up with the name <clears throat> USS because I was like, I need something, I need something. And it was just like USS, you know. I was like, what about USS? What if I make my name, make me like a ship of war? You know, USS Enterprise, USS America, and now we got USS Cunningham. Steve, USS nice. Cunningham. And it was, and it, it was, it wasn't. Again, the irony is is real because it's like now, you know, I'm here in South Africa. I'm fighting. I'm traveling like the ships in the Navy do. Go to these other countries, and then from there, I I ended up freaking campaigning in Poland, in Germany. You know, so it, the name fit when we got it, and it just and then the, the traveling just started. You know. Okay. Nice. Nice. All right. So, like you said, you turn, you make your pro debut in 2000. Now, yep. do you remember your first pro fight and what, what what that was like fighting as a professional now? Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. I I got – this is the craziest story. I got some crazy stories, man. Like, I was – I always trained. Like, I always – I always trained, especially back then. And I'm in Atlanta. Um, I'm with my wife, she's, who's my girlfriend at the time. We're living in our apartment, and shoot, I'm, I'm, we're dead broke. I mean, she's got a good job, but we're living check to check, check to check, you know. And I wasn't working. She had already been like, yo, listen, I'm going to work so you, can, so you can box, you know. I was like, cool, great. And um, so that was basically what I was doing. So from there, I get a call from, I don't know if you guys remember Ebo Elder, but I get a call from his dad. Greg Elder, who's like, yeah, Steve, I heard you turn. I heard you said you want to go pro. Look, I got a fight for you tonight. <laughs> oh, wow. He's like, right. And then and he called me at, like, we're in bed. It's like 1130, 12 o'clock, Saturday morning. He calls us Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning. He calls us and is like, yeah, Steve, I got this fight for you. It's a four-rounder, $1,000. I'm like, oh, $1,000? <laughs> For four rounds, and he's like, you know, this guy, he's, it's his pro debut, too, uh, Norman Jones. I think he went on to be like an IBA champion or something. But um, he's like, Norman Jones, this is, this is who you're fighting. And, and, and I was scheduled to fight him as an amateur the year before, but for some reason they pulled out of the fight. But um, now as, as a professional, but is at his gym, you know, this and that. And so I'm like, cool. So one of our guys, that we trained with, he was really cool with Evander. So Evander basically let let him let them let his let them use his uh, chauffeur and limo. So they came and scooped us up, me and my wife, and we went. We went to the fight, man, and I was so nervous, man. Like I was nervous, not to the point of scared, but you know, just what's going to happen? How is it going to feel? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is it how different is it? Ah, this that. You had so many questions, but. Then when you get in there and that bell rings, man, it's like zoned out. you zone out and you just do what you're supposed to do. And I outboxed that guy, man, got clean shots, made a miss, countered in front of his hometown, man, in front of his home crowd, in his gym. The fights were so, you know, it was, it was like a gym 
that was turned into, you know, a, a show, you know. So it was his gym, the gym he trained at. Pretty big, though, but wow. uh, everybody was there mm-hmm. for him. And, and I outboxed him and, and got the win, my first win, 1-0, man. That was amazing. And made 1000 bucks. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So you end up winning your, your first, what, 19 fights, right? First and then 19, your, yes, sir. First, yeah, so you win your first 19, but a Philly guy – who fought his first 11 fights in the South. Obviously, you lived yep. in Georgia, so that was yep. the way. At what point did you get the, you know, the, um, the, the uh, get labeled as a Philly fighter? Well, see, my story, I mean, it's, my story is crazy because I, I never fought in Philly um, as an amateur. I never fought mm-hmm. in Philly as an amateur, so none of the Philly guys knew me. You know, I was, you know, because it's, it's its own scene. So none of the Philly fighters knew me. So I would go to the national tournaments, and I'd see them. I'd see the Pennsylvania team and the Philly dudes, and I'd run up to them and be like, yo, what's up? Yo, I'm from Philly, too. And they'd be looking at me like, who is this clown? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yo, no, nah, I'm, from, I'm from West Philly, man. What's up? What's up? So the heavyweight, Frank Walker, this is our joke going today. He even says every time we see each other, he's like, man, I remember this skinny, tall, skinny dude come up to me, tell me he's from Philly, man, tell me he's from West Philly. And, you know, so, you know, it panned out. So when, I'm, when I turned pro, you know, of course, like you said, I got all of my fights down there in Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia. And then I was with a manager from Virginia. Uh, Jimmy Adams, who used to who used to manage Oliver McCall, and mm-hmm. um, you know he took me to Don King, my eleventh fight, my eleventh pro fight. You know they took me to Don King. I went to uh, I got we got flown out to uh, Mandalay Bay uh, during Hasim Rockman Lennox Lewis Part Two. Okay, <laughs> that rematch. We were there. That's when I signed with Don King, and I'm gonna tell you, man. <laughs> That day, I felt like quitting boxing. <laughs> I so I was told I was I was told from my manager, you know, yeah, man, you eleven and old, you know, you can you got the potential to be a heavyweight, this and that. Yeah, Don King, yeah, you should get at least a twenty five thousand dollars signing bonus. So I'm like, oh snap, because that all that time I was fighting in Georgia, Virginia, Tennessee. South Carolina, we were making $100 a round. So I'm fighting four rounders making $400. 400 I wanted, yep. to get a, I wanted to get an eight rounder so I could make 800 I don't <laughs> think I ever got an eight rounder, <laughs> you know, out of those 11 fights. So mm-hmm. we're, we're making that type of money in the beginning. And, and from there, for, for my manager, because he took, you know, Alvin McCall was with Don. He took a couple other fighters with Don. He's like, yeah, man, you should, you should be able to get, a signing bonus, probably fifteen to twenty five thousand, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's just talking that smack to keep me hype. I didn't know that at the time. I'm I'm twenty three, twenty four, don't know nothing from nothing in the boxing business. And uh we get to Manley Bay, we sit down with Don King, he's there, and Don's fast talking his butt off. They hand me the contract. I don't know what the hell a contract says at the time. All I'm looking at is numbers. I'm looking at Showtime, I see fighting on Showtime. This is how much you'll get if you fight on HBO. I see this is your minimum. $5,000 was my minimum. I'm like, wow, man, I'm about to make some money. <laughs> um, 
um, I'm looking for minimums, but I'm skimming through the through this five-page contract looking for a signing bonus. I'm looking for this $25,000. I'm looking for that number. And I turn to my mm-hmm. manager, and I'm like, yo, I don't see that. I don't see no signing bonus. <laughs> and and he's looking all nervous now. So I'm like, oh, here we go. And Don, <laughs> of course, they're sitting right next to me, Don King, his assistant, Dana. And they, they of course, they hear me. And she's like, oh, Don, Don King goes, oh. Oh, we don't do signing bonuses, man. No, Cunningham, listen, we can guarantee you a shot at the title. We don't do signing bonuses. Da, da, da. And I was just like, wow. Like, like I was blown away. I was so mad. Like, immediately I was on fire. And so mm-hmm. then Don goes, listen, he sees I'm pissed. So then Don goes, hey, listen, man, uh, just sign the contract right now. We get you these tickets to the fight. <laughs> and... And if you don't like, if you if you still feel uncomfortable tomorrow, we'll just rip the contract up. <laughs> uh, I knew he was lying. I knew he was lying. I knew it. So from there, I just signed it because I'm like, I mean, this is what I want anyway. I'm gonna make it work. But I was so mad, and I, my wife wasn't there. She was back in Virginia. So I, what I did was, right after I signed, I went and called her. And I was, oh, my goodness, I was so mad, man. Like, I was so pissed. I was mad. I was so mad. I was thinking of throwing my first fight with Don so he can release me out of the contract. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I was that mad. So, wow. uh, but, that, of course, that didn't happen. But um, mm-hmm. I was that pissed, man, signing with him. So, from there, I'm, I'm fighting with Don. I'm fighting on these big shows. Uh, you know, Bernard Hopkins undercard. He fought in Philly. I fought on that. I fought on um, uh, John Ruiz versus Kirk, Kirk Johnson. I fought on that in Mandalay Bay. My first fight with Don, I fought on Chris Bird's undercards. Me and Chris Bird are like brothers, so I, I was in a couple of training camps with him. And, you know, he got me on the card a couple of times uh, on the undercard. I fought on some big cards, man. So, you know, all of the writers and reporters, they, you know, I, they asked me, hey, where are you from? In Philly. I'm from Philly. And now, by now, I've moved back to Philly um, for my, you know, when I signed with Don, we had, we had a year after we had just moved back to Philly. So now I'm training out of the gym uh, in Philly. I'm back home, and people are, people are sketchy because they're like, who is this guy? I come in the gym. I'm sparring these dudes. I'm good. I'm telling them I'm signed with Don. Don't nobody know me. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, I'm putting in work. And, 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 you know, we, we just became a, a, a fixture in Philly, man, sparring with anybody, everybody. Uh, Yusuf okay. Mack, I used to spar with him a lot, Frank Walker. But uh, from mm-hmm. there, nobody could deny my Philly, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, like I said, 19 straight wins, and then yeah. you get the opportunity to fight for your first world title. So, yeah, you know, and like you said, you were, you were fighting on all these big cards in the States. Yeah. Being a cruiserweight, when you get that chance, you have to go overseas. So you ended up fighting yeah. in Warsaw, Poland. Yep. yep. Talk Warsaw, about that Poland. first title fight. It was man, uh, that crap was ridiculous. You know, it was it was what it was. That was Poland. It's the crazy thing is you have a black guy from Philly being the first two world title fights in Poland ever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> part of them. You know, because. The first fight was me versus Christoph Ladarczyk. Good dude. You know, he was number three. I was number one. Um, O'Neal Bell, who trained at the same gym 
as I did in Atlanta, we, we came up together sparring each other. He was pro with no amateur experience, and I was still in the amateur, and we would mix it up. I learned a lot from sparring with O'Neal. He would crack me sometimes. I would get him. I would outbox him. He would crack me. It was just a great lesson. And, shoot, he became unified champion, and now I'm number one to his title. You know, that's wild, you know. So we all came from the same gym uh, back mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And I, I'm like, O'Neal, let's go at the press conferences. I put on his undercard when he took the belts from Jean-Marc Mormick, and I'm like, O'Neal, let's go. You know what time it is, baby. You know I'm about to be unified champ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was confident. I was talking that smack. And, um, you know, he ended up vacating the IBF belt. He ended up vacating it, you know, business-wise. I didn't say he was scared of me. No way. No way. O'Neal Bell wasn't scared of nobody. It just wasn't that type mm-hmm. of money, you know. Gotcha. So he vacated gotcha. the belt, kept the other two belts. And um, so now, I'm me being IBF number one, wherever I went, the belt went. The title shot went. So the mm-hmm. IBF mandated they went to the next guy. There was no IBF number two. They went to number three, who was Christoph Ludarczyk from Poland. For you guys that don't understand, if it's, if it's two opposing promotions, there's what's called a, uh, a purse bid. Purse bid. Mm-hmm. So a purse bid. So that means the Polish promoter and Don King, they bid a number on the fight. So whoever bidded the highest number, they get to run the fight. They get to say where the fight was going to be. They get to, you know, do everything. It was their fight. So Don King, who really didn't have any, any concern for me or any interest in me for whatever reason, he just he bid so low. He bid $70,000. And we're supposed to split that, <laughs> you know, for a world title fight. So the Polish guys, they bid like, like 300000 or something. Of course they won it because, you know, and that, they've got money over there. This is mm-hmm. my first fight. I go from, I go from making twenty five hundred my fight in January to making one hundred fifteen thousand in November. You know, for for a twelve wow. round fight for the world title. We get to Poland. They put us in the room, the room that was so small it was like small as a closet. It was so small. Uh, we had to get oh. that changed. They tried to make us so uncomfortable. Um, everything was switched. I I was sponsored by Grant boxing gloves at the time by grant boxing equipment they wouldn't let me wear my grant gloves they gave me these rinky dink everlast gloves that they had i'm like wow what is that and and for me you know they know that's comfort that's that's comfortability you know i like the gloves because they're comfortable these are uncomfortable mm-hmm. um they switched judges they weren't supposed to be a polish judge they put one in they switched the german judge and they just did all kind of stuff to get the fight to sway in there and you know just to lean over in their in their in their favor and fight went down. One of the judges had me winning tw- eleven out of the twelve rounds, but mm-hmm. the Polish and the German judge, of course, had me losing. <laughs> so the Polish guy wins the belt, but they never gave us the uh, the pre-fight, I mean the post-fight drug test, which is mandatory for the uh, on in the sanctioning body of the IBF. If you don't if if you don't get the post fight urinalysis, then that's an immediate rematch. So we're sitting in the um venue waiting for um waiting for them to come give us the piss test and they never come. In all actuality, the the maintenance guys came in the locker room and was like, Yo, y'all gotta get out of here. We closing the venue. <laughs> we closing wow. the stadium. <laughs> 
And we're like, whoa. So my manager, who, who was Richie Giacchetti now at the time, he okay. I was about to say something out loud. He goes, shh, don't say nothing. So he's like, we're going to get this rematch. We're coming right back. So we, we left, and I, I went to the press conference, and I told him, y'all created a monster. I'm coming back. <laughs> and they laughing at me. They didn't know uh, whatever he talking about. And what I meant by they created a monster was because they cheated me. They robbed me out of my, of my donut, you know, my undefeated record, and mm-hmm. my title. That was my fight. I won that fight. But the, the, what I learned in that was in Europe, fighting in another country, you have to, like, I, I, what I, the way I fought them, I fought them like I normally fight, outboxing smooth. You know, it wasn't no urgency. But when you're fighting in another country, in Europe, Germany, uh, I'm sorry, Poland, whatever, you always have to figure that they have a judge or two in the pocket. They always have because they are countrymen. They're into that. This is my countryman. He's going to win. My countryman, my countryman. They're going to look out for their guy, even if it looks weird. They're still going to do it. We don't do that in America, <laughs> but they do over there. So you have, to, you have to realize that they have a judge or two, a judge or the ref, a judge and the ref <laughs> in the pocket. So you have to fight harder. You have to fight a, little, a bit harder than you normally do. You have to level up. So that's what I meant by when I said you created a monster. And because I, I knew what I had to do. I knew I had to step up my training, you know, and that, that helped me big time in my whole career. So we got the immediate rematch. We filed the complaint with the IBF. They gave us the immediate rematch due to their rules. And Marion Muhammad, who was the president at the time of the IBF, she came to the fight because she, she said herself that fight was so crazy that they did so many things illegal, the supervisor that the IBF had sent from Italy basically was their friend. So he was just letting whatever go. So she said, I'm going to come and oversee this fight myself. Wow. And it wasn't, and it wasn't her taking favoritism for me, and she told me that. She said, this isn't for you. She said, this is to make sure that they do everything right. And I told I said, Ms. Muhammad, I said, all I want is a fair chance. That's it. That's all I need. And and she was like, you got it. And I went in there and beat this. And they still tried. <laughs> they still mm-hmm. tried. I won a split decision. <laughs> I, I won a split decision, but um, um, but we won. I didn't care if it was by one point. I didn't care if it was by half a point. I didn't care if he slipped and twisted his ankle and couldn't fight. I am the champion now, <laughs> you know. Okay. And um. When we went to Poland before the fight, because, you know, I believe that guy was on steroids. You know, that's why they didn't give us the drug test. And when we went there, they just, the first time, they all had a smug look on their face, the promoter, even a fighter. But the second time we went back, because now the president's coming and the testing was going to get done, they just, they had different looks on their faces. It was somber. They knew what it was, and we were there for business. So um, mm-hmm. it was great. That was great. So that's how I got my title, man. Okay. And that same year, you end up going to Germany and defend your title against a highly regarded and undefeated Marco Huck. So I remember going to that that fight. Huck seemed to be getting all the press, yet you were the champ. So how did that motivate you, and what do you remember about the build-up to that fight and that fight? Man, I'm going to tell you the truth. 
I was nervous as heck to fight Marco Hook. I was I I'd say I wouldn't say scared like oh oh no I was I was I was scared to lose my belt and I felt mm-hmm. Marco Huck was good you know I saw him beat Vadim Tokarev to become the IBF number one contender and I was like wow he murdered Tokarev and Tokarev was told to be the future of the division and Marco Huck right. just wiped him out and I was like yo I'm like I gotta fight this dude <laughs> so. <laughs> So I made I made up I made up my mind. I said, "Listen, that kid's good, you know, and not not just that he's good. It he's good, and I have to go to his home country and fight him, you know. So I'm like, if I'm like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna lose my belt, this is gonna be the hardest fight this dude's ever had in his life, you know, the hardest win he's gonna ever get in his life." And that's what I felt. I felt that from day one of of, of seeing him beat Vadim Tokarev, because I, I know I didn't look good in my fight to win the title. That fight wasn't even about looking good. That fight was just about getting the title by any means, you know. So Boy, I didn't look good. I didn't look skillful. I didn't look. I just went. I, I was so mad at that Polish fight for the second time. I just went at him and took it to him for six rounds straight. No boxing, no jab, just go. So they they looked at me like, yo, we're going to kill Cunningham. So even the American press said it. All the press had me to lose. Nobody had me to win. I was a complete underdog. I'm going to fight with, in all actuality, in the city he grew up in. It was in his town, literally in his town. So I'm just like, hey, it is what it is. So we – um. We get there. He's really smug. He's talking jokes. He's cracking jokes about, uh, you know, because we had just kind of invested in this pizza shop in, in Philly that we uh, mm-hmm. we don't have anymore. But we invested in this pizza shop, and, you know, everybody heard about it. And he's like, I'm going to beat him so bad to make him go retire and make pizzas for the rest of his life. And I was like, oh, he got jokes. Wow. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, he had all kinds of jokes and stuff. So, so with that being said, we got into the fight, and it was easy. You know, it was it was it was a simple breakdown of a boxer versus a, a slugger, because he 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 didn't have a jab. He didn't invest in the jab. He didn't invest in movement. He didn't invest in anything but throwing big shots, trying to be flashy. And I love fighting guys like that. You know, like they are they are easy. Power punches are easier for me to fight. So, okay. so he uh, and that's what he was. He was a power puncher. So he uh, you know, as the rounds went on, I was breaking him down, breaking him down. And the last round, twelfth round, I caught him and caught him and had him reeling. And um, they threw the towel in. His corner threw the towel in. Man, I I literally, if you watch that, I fell on the ground. I just fell when I saw that mm-hmm. towel, because it's like a dream come true. It was literally my dreams come true. I, I won the world title four or six months ago. Now I've defended it successfully. And you know what they say, you're not a champion until you defend it right. <laughs> successfully. So I'm like, yo, I did it. I came, to, I came to Germany and beat this guy in Germany. And I knew what that meant in the boxing world. And, and you know, too, too hardcore diehard boxing fans and boxing people because you don't do that. You don't win your title in another in, in Europe and then defend it there successfully. 
That just doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so I was, you know, I, I was one who did it. I know there are a few who, a few who did it, like Winky Wright and stuff, but, um, or, or uh, you know, other guy, Buster Drayton, that's going back. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I did it, you know, and, and that just made me feel, I felt like a world champion then. That's when I really felt like I'm a champion. Okay. All right. All right. So, obviously, you, you, you lose the title, but you win it back by beating Tony Ross. But I want you to talk Sorry, about the two. Yes, you got it. Thank you. Yep. But no, right. I want you to I want you to go back and talk about because you 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 talked about going over to Europe, facing bad judges, but then yeah. you come you fight in Jersey against Thomas Adamek. Yeah, man. And, and I still believe you want, uh, you know, we won't get into all that, but you know, <laughs> talking about talking about bad judges, you're fighting yep. in America against yep. Tommy Zadimek and, and two fights that were controversial. So talk about those two fights. And, you know, at this point, you know, your celebrity has risen. You're fighting yeah. Adamek, who's, you know, pushed by main events and you yep. know, all that good yep. stuff. But, but talk yeah, about so- those two fights. So the first fight with Adamick, you know, I'm coming off of that Marco Hook stoppage. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm 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 a little I'm a little you know, I, I won't yeah, I'll I'll say a little big headed. I mean shoot, I should be. I'm a world champion, you know. I'm I'm a little right. big headed. I'm super excited now to be fighting in America on television, even though it wasn't mainstream T V, it was it was um it was versus the versus network. But still and now I'm fighting close to home, fighting in Newark, New Jersey. It's about 40 minutes up the road, almost an hour. And I'm fighting Tomas Adamick. You know, this guy, he takes a beating. So we're going to box him. We're going to box him. Get in the ring, we fight. And I said this before the fight. I said, if, if I start boxing him and, and touching him and touching him, I'm not going to, don't tell yourself you got this. That's just been my thing. And I showed up after that first round. It was so easy to just jab him and touch him and move. I was like, man, I got this. <laughs> that was the first round, and that's mm-hmm. when it started going haywire. <laughs> so from there, the second round, we come out, box box. Adam scores a knockdown. Good shot. Um, I'm down. I'm still cooking. And I get up, weather the storm, hammering him a bit. It's like I won every round that he didn't knock me down in. And even one of those rounds, the fourth round, I unleashed at least like a minute and thirty second, um, minute and thirty second barrage of punches that um, almost got him. That almost got him. But then I got tired, and he immediately countered, and I went down. <laughs> so people were saying, "Yo, that should have been a draw round," but the IBF don't do those type of rounds. So. Yeah. You know, we fought, we kept fighting. He knocked me down two more times. No, it was three knockdowns that fight. One more time, he knocked me down, and I just was like, man, I need to get a knockdown, or this might be, I hope, I'm hoping this is a draw. But but then I'm like, I think I did enough to win, though, but I'm like, three knockdowns, though? So I was I was like, all right, I'm hoping for a draw, and they, they gave it to Adamick. Uh, one judge had me winning the fight, though, <laughs> yes. you know, which was amazing. So that was the first fight. I knew I did I did things wrong, and that's when I lost my belt. 
That's when I lost I lost my IBF belt, and that was also for the Ring Magazine belt. Um, oh wow! Yeah, that would have been awesome, man. But so I lost my belt, and now I had to fight Wayne Braithwaite for the IBF number one spot, and I beat him yeah. to fight Adamick again. And Adamick, they went up the heavyweight. They vacated the title, and went up the heavyweight. That's when I had to fight Troy Ross in Germany because now I signed with uh, the German promoter, and now I'm campaigning in Germany. So I campaigned in Germany as a cruiserweight, lose my title again to a robbery, suspect, rape, <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I decide to, all right, I'm not going to be promoted by them anymore because all they wanted was my belt. They finally got it from me. Now I'm going to go heavyweight, reinvent myself. I fought one fight, and, and I signed with main event who had Adam, and they were chomping at the bit to do an Adam at Cunningham too at heavyweight. So we did it. We said it. We signed the contract. Um, Adamick was about two, what, 23. I came in at like 206, <laughs> 207 or something. And I was so excited for this rematch because now I have a new trainer. I have Brother Nazem, who's, who's been training me for about five years now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm ready. I, I, know, I know the mistakes I made in the first fight. I, and I'm like, I know Adamick can't beat me. And this is for, like, the IBF number two, heavyweight number two spot to get to Vladimir. So, man, I'm excited. I'm super, I'm super pumped for this fight. I get in there, and I literally pitch in my book, because I'm a harsh critic on myself. I literally pitch a, a shutout. A, I'll give myself an 8.5 in that fight. You know, and, you know, you saw it. The judges first said yes. a draw. Then they come back. Yeah. And say, well, hold up, hold up. We miscalculated the score. So me and me and brother and I them looking at each other like, yeah, damn right. You, recal- you need to recalculate them. <laughs> damn right. And um, um, they come back with a uh, split decision win for Adams. I was like, are you effing kidding? Like, I was so mad. And I was kind of, by then, I was so used to getting, getting done dirty in boxing that mm-hmm. I had nothing to say. I just left the ring. I had nothing else to say. You know, I, I, if, if I would have said anything, it would have been violent. I would have I choked one of those judges or did something like a, a Zab Judah or something. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just left the ring, man. And I, went, I went to the back, and I told Brother Nazem. I was like, man, if I made that money that a two-time world champion would have made, because that cruiserweight, people fail to realize, you got the belt. But there wasn't that crazy money out there for cruiserweights for American cruiserweight. So I didn't mm-hmm. make millions. I didn't make millions. My my cruiserweight title fights were like 150, 200,000, 250 here and you know, you know, so it's like that's but you got guys defending their titles for 1.5, 800,000, you know. So I never saw any money like that. So I told Brother Nazim, I said, Brother Naz, you know, if I made that money, man, I this I would retire. I would pull a haggler on him. You know, because I was so pissed. <laughs> I was, I was literally, I was thinking of pulling a haggler, but I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford it, so I had to, I, you know, and not that I couldn't afford it only, it's like I couldn't afford to retire or quit. I still had that fire in me to box, to be great. I still felt the world didn't see the best of Steve Cunningham yet. So you know, we kept pushing on, and that's when the Fury fight came up. <laughs> Okay, okay, and a great fight that was, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, it ended a certain way, but 
you dropped Fury in the second round, and I yeah. think it shocked the world. So describe what it yeah. was like fighting the great Tyson Fury. And the, it was uh, it was different, you know, because we. I mean, of course, we had tall guys in training camp, but mm-hmm. who anticipated <laughs> Fury fighting the way he fought? You know, um, it, it, we didn't anticipate that. You know, so but. I'll tell you this, in the beginning of training camp, the first day when we signed the contract and we went to the gym and started training for this fight, Brother Nazim specifically said, he said, Steve, we're going we're gonna, to uh, gonna drill this overhand right. He said, you're going to knock him. He said, you're going to sit him on his back pocket with this punch. That's exactly what he said. And, you know, bro, if Brother Nazim says something like that, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a 100% all into it because I I got faith in what he his game plans and his, his tutelage. Let's go, and we drilled that overhand right every training camp day. Every training camp day, it was just a drill. Boom, boom, boom. So in the fight, uh, you know Fury, you know, even the press conference, Fury's talking all trash, and you know nobody really knew Fury then. I didn't know him then, so he kind of got me mad because I'm saying like, I'm like, yo, this dude is already six nine. He's already told it to destroy me. You know, me being the smallest mm-hmm. heavyweight, he him being the biggest, 6'9", 269. Uh, I'm like, dude, why are you talking trash? You're supposed to run over me, run me over, you know? like. But what he was doing, you know, well, now we know what he was doing. You know, he's selling himself. This, you know, he, 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 he did a great job with it. But mm-hmm. at that time, I'm like, what is up with this guy? <laughs> you know, so we were about to fight at the press conference, you know, and um, – so then in the fight, he's, you know, he's being smug. First round goes down. A little back and forth. He lands the one on me. I land one on him. I'm trying to set him up for this overhand. I threw it a couple. I threw it once, and it missed him, barely missed him. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, I'm going to chill on it. And then uh, the second round, no, the end of the first round, and he pushes me after the bell. And I'm like, like wow, bro. So I look at the ref, and the ref, you know, uh, rest in peace. Um, ah, I forgot his name. Dang. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Cotton. Rest in okay. peace, Eddie Cotton. Yes, Eddie, yes, Eddie, yes. Eddie, yeah, Eddie didn't really do anything. I guess he was taking out of the warning, giving him warnings. But uh, from there, second round comes, and Fury's, he's playing. He's goofing off, thinking he's got this in the bag, and he threw a lazy jab. Boom. I, and I didn't even think about throwing that overhand. It just happened. It happened. Wow. And I, I was wow. so like, yo, like, Wow. And that was the trainer. That was the trainer. I looked at Brother Nazim, and we, they were going crazy in the corner. And I'm like, yo, like, is you serious, though? <laughs> Man, so from there, I went out, and I, I landed a couple more shots that Buzz Fury threw out the fight a few rounds in. and um, But he started, you know, leaning on me, laying on me, putting his L4 arm in my throat, cutting off my circulation, just doing all kind of dirty stuff. He got a point taken. He got numerous warnings. Then of course he he before he puts his forearm in my face and KOs me and um you know brother Nazim I apologize to them brother Nazim was like yo you ain't gotta apologize for nothing he's like what? that dude he cheated so in the locker room we watched the uh, replay and I, that's when I saw it I was like oh snap that's illegal and brother Nazim was like you know listen he said he did exactly what I would have done you know and I'm like what do you mean he was like man listen. If I if I'm in there fighting you and I can't I, you're faster than me, 
your, your boxing IQ is better than mine. You're landing punches. You know, knocked me down. You, you, you shook me a couple more times. He's like, man, I'm going I'm to I'm do something to stop this. If it's dirty then it, and it works, I'm going to do it and keep doing it. And he was right. You know, he's like, man, I, I did that myself. You know, it's, when at all costs. And that's what Fury, and, you know, I understood that. So, you know, that fight, people, you know, that fight for me, Coming off of that Adam McLaw, that, that Adam McRobbery, that second fight, I felt, mm-hmm. and I heard the innuendo. I heard the people talking about, oh, Cunningham's not a real heavyweight. Cunningham's not a real heavyweight. And I heard the people saying these things. So, and then some people were saying that's kind of why Adam got denied instead of me because he fought Vladimir, and they wanted him to fight. No, he fought Vitaly, and they wanted him to fight Vladimir. Because yes. Adam was a real, he's transitioned to be a real heavyweight. You're just a cruiserweight who put on a couple pounds. So they didn't want me to go contest against Vladimir. And I'm like, what? So from that, when we chose to fight Fury, I felt that I had to rumble him a little more. And that, and I kind of went against Brother Nazim's game plan. The game plan was to box and move, completely move. But I just felt like boxing didn't like me. You know, I felt like the judges, for some reason... These judges around the world, man, they were just robbing me for, for whatever reason. So I felt like I got I had to prove to them that I can rumble. So I as a heavyweight. So I went in there and I was rumbling fury, you know, I was I was mixing up with him, which I shouldn't have done. That's the one guy I shouldn't have mixed it up with. Because he put the weight on me and and got me tired. But I knew even in that fight, people were like, Yeah, you were tired, you got tired. But I'm like, listen, I've, I've fought, I don't even know how many 12-round fights. On, I can't count them. And I'm like, I know my body. So I knew in that, in that sixth round, I knew, like, all right, cool, I'm going to get a second win. When I come out, I get to the break. When I come out, I'm going to be refreshed. My recovery time is awesome. So I knew I was a little tired now. But I'm like, let me get my minute break. I'm going to come out, and I'm going to be great. And, but I just didn't make it out of that round. You know, so um, – and that's because I chose to, to fight a little bit more in order to sway these judges, you know, and it calls me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Fury paid you the ultimate respect, saying you were his hardest fight he ever had. So. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. That was, Hearing that, that right how, did, how did that make you feel? Dude, that was unbelievable. That was on. Un- Freaking believable, and and I kept telling people every time Fury beats somebody, it makes me look good. You know, it makes <laughs> yes, me look good yes. because because this is the man I put him on his butt, clean, and had him hurt. And what he said, he said he admitted it. Yo, Cunningham was a better fighter than me, and and he even told me because I went to training camp with Fury probably four months after we fought, and oh, wow. he, we talked, okay. and and he told me he was like, man. I'm sorry. He apologized. I'm sorry. He, he admitted. I mean, it, it ain't no admitting. We saw what he did. He apologized for it and was like, man, I'm sorry. I had to do what I had to do. You was, was all on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So uh, I was like, all right, yes. you know, it is what it is. I'm like, if, if they'll let you do it, it ain't illegal then. You know? If they allow you to do it. But here's the, here's the thing, right? Here's one thing. I'm going to shorten this up very short. Everybody could see what he did was illegal. You know, he used his forearm. We petitioned the New York State Athletic Commission, who was Melvina Lathan at the time, uh, for a protest hearing. It, it first, it took us about a month. It literally took us almost over a month to get her on the phone. 
you know, they knew we were calling to protest that fight. It took her mm-hmm. almost, almost, no, it took her over a month, probably like a month and a week in order for us to get her on the phone. And we finally get her on the phone to schedule an appointment to come sit down up there. We sit down with them. Now I have my lawyer and Pat English, who was main events lawyer. They looked up some of the statutes and laws on, you know, New York State Athletic Commission rules, and the one rule states you cannot use your forearm from your elbow to your wrist to pin a fighter and commit a knockout. It literally stated what he did was illegal, verbatim. So I'm like, slam dunk. We're going to get this overturned. It's going to be a no contest. We get up there, we tell, when we tell Melvin and Lathan them the statue and the law and, and, the, and the code, they look so shocked. <laughs> they had this look on his face like, oh, Negroes read. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, the look, that's the look they had on their face. They were shocked like, oh, oh, my goodness. So I'm, I'm shaking my head like, yeah, yeah, we got this. And so she says, all right, we're going to look at the tape. We're going to review it, and we're going to get back to you. We're going we're gonna to pick a panel of boxing people to to judge this. And I'm like, boxing people from where? Where are these boxing people from? Oh, here in the area in New York. And I was like, what? And we yeah, exactly. And we get the call about three weeks later and she's like oh they're like, oh no, we it, yeah. We got a letter. We got a letter in the mail that says we found nothing illegal or wrong, fight decision stands. And we're I'm like, bro, really? So, so that's what happened. So that's what happened wow. with that, man. So, that's crazy. but here's here's another thing with that. You gotta look at look at it like this. That was a huge fight. So that fight for Fury was for the Vladimir number one spot. All right. Mm. So I fell short, or they made me fall short of the Vlad, of the IBF number two spot for Vladimir with the Adamic robbery. Now I'm fighting for the number one spot against Fury, and you know that happened. So it doesn't get overturned, and it, it, it really hit me then about the betting, the betting in boxing, because it's like that was a huge fight for the next guy to fight Vladimir, the unified heavyweight champion. The betting is crazy. We were fighting for the number one spot. So this is two months after the fight happened. You think they're going to overturn that? What happens to the money, no. the betting? No, yes, wow. You know what I'm saying? Never, never, never right. thought about that. Wow. Right, you got to think about that. You got to think about that now. Um, you have to because that betting is, is powerful. There's a lot of money in that betting and those odds. And that was, a, that was a fight for a big position, man, to fight for the crown of the boxing, of boxing, you know, the heavyweight title. So mm-hmm. we go up in there complaining. With, and and we're we're not even we're not even in with any any manager. My manager was my wife now. Now I, my my wife's been my manager for years since 2007, since my second fight in Poland. I, that's when I got rid of my old manager and made my wife my manager. And we you know we got to keep more money in in house and make better decisions for us. But we didn't have the, the, that was a plus. But the negative was we didn't have that in boxing backing like the Al Heyman at the time. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm-hmm. Like the like the whoever, Kushner or whatever. So it was just us. And they treated us like shit. You know what I mean? They treated us like we had no backing. <laughs> oh, we just gonna do this to Cunningham. 
okay, we, we don't want Cunningham to fight Vladimir, so let's just rob him from of Adam. Oh, okay, uh, Fury did do illegal shit, but uh, whatever. That's Cunningham. Cunningham ain't got he ain't got no power behind him, <laughs> you know, no 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 powerful force behind me, and that's basically it. So now when it comes to the betting, they're not changing. They're not giving those guys money back. No, no. Why not? <laughs> not at all. All right. Well, I, so fast forward to the debate: Deontay Wilder, yeah. Tyson Fury. You have strong opinion on Fury's gloves, so. Yeah. What is your opinion and why? I, you know, that, and I'm speaking of the second fight. I haven't even looked at the first fight. I don't even care to look at the gloves on the first fight. I'll leave that to those other guys who are doing it. I got sent a picture of Fury, of his glove flopping. It was going all the way back. I, I got sent that picture a week before I started speaking on it. And when they first sent me the picture, I was like, that's Photoshop. So I didn't even I didn't even give it a second thought. I said that was Photoshop. I I swiped past it and kept it moving. Um, but then a week later, I had some other guy send it to me, and he was like, "Yo, champ, look at this man. Your Fury be cheating. Look, his hand not all the way in the glove." And I then I looked again. I gave it some more time, and I was and then he sent me other pictures, and I was like, "Hold up!" And then he sent me a video clip, and I'm like, "Yo, nobody's glove flops like that." <laughs> nobody's freaking glove should flop like that. If your glove is all the way down and taped around your wrist, there's no mm-hmm. way your freaking glove is flopping like that unless you're double jointed in the wrist. <laughs> you know what I mean? His glove, the knuckle part of his glove is almost touching the back of his forearm, the back of wow. his wrist. And I'm like, there's only one explanation for that. His hand is not fully in the glove. Period. Period. So I made my video. I stated what I was, and, and and let's get this clear. Like I tried to tell the people in the beginning of the video, listen, I'm not hating on Fury. Shit. That dude just came out and said earlier that year that or, or a year before, I was his hardest fight to date, amateur or pro. So shit, why am I why would I hate on Fury? I don't have any mm-hmm. I don't hold any grudges um against Fury for our fight. That 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 two thousand thirteen. That was six years before that, you know? And I went to training camp with him. I lived out there with him for four weeks. There's no grudge. There's no hate. But that 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 glove crap, it looks pretty weird. And I spoke on what I thought it was, you know? Wow. Okay. All right. All right. So before we wrap this up, shameless plug time. So you mentioned it before, your comics, USS Comics. I need you yeah. to brag about brag about that, brag about your gym, oh, and also let people know how they can follow you on social media. All right. First, the comic book. Um, you know, I've been hearing all my career, man, you look like a superhero. So after um, I went to train, after I beat Wayne Braithwaite in 2009, I was out in Vegas with Chris Bird, and I came up with the idea to turn myself into a superhero. And... Um, I just started, you know, dibbling and dabbling with it. Over the years, probably by 2015, it was a serious thing. Like, yo, I'm going to do a comic book. Remember, art was my major in high school, so I still drew, still can draw. And I just, I just learned these art programs, man, and just started. Now I draw on the iPad and put this whole story together, you know, behind me and some of the guys that I fought. 
and I created nice. a, a, a page we, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can just hit USS Comics or either just hashtag USS Comics. The first comic book just arrived. I have it in bulk right downstairs in my um, office. It's USS vs. Hardcore. Hardcore Mansoor, Amir Mansoor. You guys remember? Ah, I wow. Him in um, I fought him in 2014 and won the heavyweight USBA title. Gave 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 him his first loss. I mean, that's my homie though. You know, we were friends before the fight and after. And um, I asked him, Yo, can I use your likeness for the comic book? He said, Go ahead. So I made a full three part story of our, you know, just a, a, a fictional story in which I draw everything. Also, the action scenes in the comic book are actual fight scenes from the fight. So you can go check Daryl Cobb's pictures and you'll see I drew that in the comic book, you know, um, as our fight scene. Uh, from there, we have the first book. The first part has arrived. I'm going to put the link out within the next week on how to purchase it. Then we're going to do part two at the uh, end of February and part three by mid-March. So it's, a, it's really a graphic novel, but I just broke it up into three parts. And then okay. I'm going to put it back together as a graphic novel and sell it like that also with posters, T-shirts. We got gloves coming for it. And USS wow. Comics, it's not just one story and it's not just me. USS Comics is the whole umbrella. I got on board Danny Garcia. He wants me to do a comic book for him, Austin Trout. Also, oh, um, the former WBA champion, I've got um, uh, the Bounty Hunters, the brothers, Keith Bounty Hunter. Um, they're up and coming. They, mm -hmm. I've already been drawing their Keep stuff. You guys right. can see all these pictures on USS Comics, at USS Comics, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, so I'm ready, man. I mean, I got the LLC, USS Comics LLC. I'm ready to start I, selling I saw these that. books. Yes putting it out, baby. So um, from there, with the comic book, I've got other stories, too, because, you know, I'm an artist. I love horror. I'm going to do horror comic books. I'm just, I'm just working, man. I just got a big plan. I just takes a lot of time. So, But from that, put that down, we got the gym, USS Fight Academy. We opened our own gym in 2017. I have um, my son's fight. My son, Steve Jr., just turned 18. He's number four in the country. Um, as an amateur, he's got about 60 amateur fights. I have my 10-year-old, Cruz Cunningham, who is number one in the country at eight-year-old, or yeah, eight, nine years old. But now, due to COVID, nobody fought last year. So, But he's still number one in the nation. Um, and I have another kid, Maximus Ruiz, Chino. He's number one at um, nine, ten in his uh, weight class. So we have some top-rated amateurs. And I have more amateurs that I train. I got about... 10 amateurs that I train at my gym. We do, like, fitness classes. We Our bread and butter is our kids' classes. We, so we have, like, a gym class that's just tailored around boxing, you know? Okay. That's awesome. I have the best dude, uh, Coach Pat, Air Force veteran. He runs it like a military establishment. I love that. <laughs> and, uh, we get those kids in shape. The parents love it. We yell at them, we, you know, we have fun, though. We love those kids, and they get in shape. They work. They learn boxing. I'm not just there just to take anybody's money and let these kids bounce around. We are teaching them boxing, you know, on their level. So if some of, some of those kids have graduated to our um, competition team, you know, from the kids' class. 
You know, because it's like we've seen a kid, Gavin, I'll use him for example. He was 70 and he came to us, and he's, he's looking promising. So about a year later, he came over to the competition team, and he's got, he's got about six fights now, doing good. You know, so that's how we do it. Um, outside of that, you know, we, we do a lot of fundraising for our um, team, our, our amateur team, because we travel. You know, these national tournaments are in California. Uh, Louisiana, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, they're, they're all over the, the country, and they're like three, four times a year. So we do fundraising, we do GoFundMes, we sell T-shirts, we do whatever we can to get enough money to get our kids to these fights and back. For the, and it's a week-long tournament, so we need about 3500 a tournament, you know. Okay. Uh, we okay. just, we, last year we applied for our nonprofit, so we'll be able to – garner more, you know, get some grants and do this and that more. But, um, yeah, we're working, man. We're working. So that's basically it with, with, uh, with me, man. Man, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. And you're, you're accomplishing a lot. So good luck to you. So quickly, if somebody wants to contribute to, you know, your competition team or your program, who do they need to contact? They can contact us at USS Fight Academy on Instagram, because uh, that's the main, that's where we're at mainly. We're not on Twitter yet. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but okay. Instagram is the main one. You DM us on Instagram, and uh, if you want to contribute, just let us know. We'll give you the um, the uh, PayPal, the info, and uh, we'd love to have any support we can get because, I mean, we do have tournaments coming up in February. We're actually going to Philly. I live in Pittsburgh right now. You know, we moved to Pittsburgh because of my daughter's transplant. So that's about four and a half hours away from Philly. But okay. um, we, uh, you know, so we travel. We travel to get fights because we, we can't get fights here in Pittsburgh anymore. <laughs> that's a good thing, <laughs> you know. Okay. So we, we have to travel to get our guys fights. And Philadelphia has, has a show early February. There's a tournament going on in North Carolina that we will need funds for at the end of February, February 26th. So we'll Is be that doing the Christy Martin tournament? Uh, I think it might be. I think it may be. Okay. Okay. I'll but, uh, see you there then. So, yeah, so we're, we're, we're trying to bring a team down there for that, and that's a two-day tournament. So yes. anybody okay. you want to give, it's USS Fight Academy on Instagram. Go on the DMs and, or even go to my, any of my pages, Facebook, Steve Cunningham, uh, Twitter, USS Cunningham. Instagram, the real USS. I'm all messed up over the place. Man. I got different names everywhere. But just find me and get my DMs. Let me know you want to donate, or just go to the USS Fight Academy's page on Instagram. And I appreciate we right. appreciate that, man, for real. Okay, all right. Well, we'll help push it. Definitely help push Thank it. Thank you. So, before we go, I want to play a quick speed round. I'm going to say what? four things, and I just want the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. So you being a Navy man, first thing I'm going to ask you about is what is a hotbed? A hotbed? Yes. Have you ever heard of a hotbed? No, I haven't. Hotbed? Okay. I I heard – now, you talked about having 4,000 people on a ship. My mom is an ex-Navy. So you talk about having 4,000 people on a ship, and you guys rotate – 
has got to share the same bed. All right, all right, all right. That's not what we called it. But, what right, do you call right. it? That's not what we called it, but I remember the room. I remember those stories. All right. Uh, <laughs> what did you What did you call it? We 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 had enough space. You know, now we have enough space, so we didn't call it. But we heard the stories of hot bedding. You know, like one person uh-huh. gets off work. And the other person is coming on work, and they got to share the bed. One would sleep, one working. <laughs> All right. Hey. All right. Let me ask you this. Are you familiar with the G-Dunk? G-Dunk? No, I'm not. Yes. Has to do with uh, – what does it have to do with? Oh, my God, I almost forgot. Anyway, it has to do with uh, – the little machines where you get candy out of. I can't even think what it's called. Apparently, they have them on the ships, and a lot of the people just remember them because once you get your candy bar out, it hits the thing, and it goes, g-dunk, g-dunk, whatever. Nah, so, nah see, my anyway. name is stricter. You can't do none of that crap, man. You get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's when I was in the uh, so it's probably even worse now. Okay. All right. Now, as a, and this is a little more serious. So as a veteran, what was going through your mind last week when you saw the Capitol building being attacked? Mm. Where is security? <laughs> you know, that's what was going through my mind. How are these guys just walking up in here unopposed? Where is the military presence? Where is the military police, period? Okay, okay, all right. And then the final thing, who is your favorite fighter of all time? I'm going to tell you, man, a lot of people, my favorite fighter of all time is Chris Bird, man. Chris Bird. Nice. Why? Because I, I know him personally, and I know he wasn't a real heavyweight. I know he wasn't the strongest. I know he wasn't, he didn't have the people, but he didn't have his promoter behind him. But he got in there and he worked his butt off and he fought his hardest and became a two-time heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what he went through and I and I learned so much from him. Like he took me under his wing, and they just him and his wife at the time just gave us all the info that we needed in order to help us and it helped. Okay. Okay. He's my greatest fighter of all time. You know? Nice, nice, and you know, similar to you. A smaller heavyweight, crafty. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, Steve, USS Cunningham, this has been fun for me. So thank you for your service again. Thank you for risking your life to give us fans, boxing fans, so many great memories. And, again, thank you for coming on and sharing your story on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Thank you for having me, man. Anytime. I really appreciate this.